Why do people value what they pay for? Why do good things generally come with a cost? What causes us to place value on anything? I submit to you that the things we value the most are the things which cost us the most. Not only in money, but in time and resources, in the investment of emotions, energy, and effort. Look no further than your kids. Expensive little stinkers, aren't they? And money's not the half of it. But just think how much you value them. Similarly, when I'm not investing in my marriage, I don't value it. I take it for granted. When I'm not giving my absolute best in my job, I don't value it. I just go through the motions. When I don't sacrifice for my church by giving and serving, I don't really value it. I start to wonder if other churches might be better or if there's really any point in attending. I value most what costs me the most. It's the basic principle of life. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We covered that a few weeks ago, but as we go into our text today, understand that in real time, he actually just said that a moment ago in his sermon. And again, the point is that if you make investments in God's work here, you not only store up treasure in heaven, but in so doing, heaven becomes the place where your heart longs to be. Today, Jesus wants to teach us about another way that we can keep our values and our hearts in heaven. By investing our time, our efforts, and our energy into prayer. Jesus knew sacrifice would be required for us to value a close personal relationship with God. Why? Because we value what we pay for. He knew without some work and without a cost, we would not value the relationship. But would take it for granted, missing out on the abundant life he came to give us. I'm not talking about earning salvation, which is free, but I'm talking about working out and paying the price or investing sacrificially into your relationship with God. How much do you value your relationship with God, assuming you have one? The amount you value your spiritual walk will be proportional to the amount you put into it. Has your relationship with God cost you any time lately? Has it cost you any attention? Has it cost you anything? One of the biggest costs required for a real relationship with God can be summed up with the word persistence. Perhaps you've noticed what I've noticed, that it is increasingly more difficult for most people to stick with anything for very long. More than ever, long-term commitment does not come easily for most people. Loyalty and persistence are not natural. Persistence in particular takes work. It takes effort over time. 
But Jesus gives us a good promise this morning that can help us learn to value our relationship with God enough to persist in prayer. Jesus promised us that persistent prayer pays. Let's listen to what Jesus says from chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or when he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give what is good to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him? Now, there's something very important that we need to understand about the original Greek verbs that Matthew uses here to convey what Jesus taught. The words ask, seek, and knock are probably better translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Some translations use these words because this is indeed what the words mean. These form, the form of these verbs conveys ongoing, even perpetual activity, not a one-time action. Literally, Jesus was saying to keep on asking and asking. Keep on seeking and seeking and seeking some more. Keep on knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. In fact, I believe the primary point here from Jesus was not so much about getting what you want when you want it. But he was drawing attention to the necessity of persistence in our pursuit of God. Again, I'm talking about after a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. The real point Jesus is making here becomes even more clear in Luke's account. Remember, there are four accounts of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes in comparing the Gospels, we realize that one of the writers must have chosen to, not to include certain details that another one another writer included. And sometimes we realize that, that Jesus must have said some of the same things uh, in, 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 at, at different times, in different places, with different people. Imagine a preacher repeating something more than once. Of course he did. And it wouldn't have always been the exact same words the next time. So Luke places this particular teaching from Jesus about persistent prayer, not in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but in answer to a question from his closest disciples, they ask him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus answers with a parable followed by the same thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount in our text today. Let's look at Luke's, look at Luke's version. Verse 5 of chapter 11 in Luke. Then he said to them, suppose, after they asked him about how to pray, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door's already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
So it becomes clear that the main point behind what Jesus says in our Matthew text as well as in Luke's account is actually about persistence in prayer. Jesus is telling us that when it comes to how we approach God, persistence pays. Now, we've actually talked about this passage some already in this series, uh, and I'm not going to have time to cover the entire thing in detail this morning. Um, We could spend another whole sermon on the part about God, our Father, wanting to give good gifts to His children. But I'm going to focus in mostly on the asking, seeking, and knocking portion of the passage. And since the main idea is that persistent prayer pays, we're going to do this in the format of a cost-benefit analysis. The cost is generally in our persistence, and the benefits involve God's responses. So here's the first cost. Cost number one, persistence in asking God. Now, how or why is this a cost? Well, the cost is basically in continuing to ask even though it hasn't worked out so far. If you don't think that's a cost, just try it sometime. Keep on asking, even when you're still getting the opposite of what you're asking to receive. If I'm continuing to ask, obviously I do not yet have what I want or, I would, uh, or I'd be done. I don't have what I think I desperately need. The cost is in asking while you wait. And waiting can be extremely costly. Things can get worse and get harder and harder. The amount of cost in waiting depends on the nature of the request. Sometimes we're so desperate it feels like waiting is not even a possibility. How can you possibly wait? It has to happen now or it's too late. But God says, keep on asking. There can be considerable cost in waiting, actually. More than ever, First world humans like us will do almost anything to avoid the wait, won't we? Uh, Why do you think most of us are in debt up to our eyeballs, right? Fifty years ago, people saved and then they bought. These days, most of us buy now and pay later. And we want to blame presidents for the economy. But often the problem's with our people. It's us. Newsflash. It's later. We bought then and now it's later and we still don't have the money. Short of a lesson on economics, I'll just point out that in the financial area and in many areas, refusing to wait is a problem. But why don't we wait? Because of the cost. How does this relate to the economics of prayer? What about saving first and buying later when it comes to prayer? If you operate by this principle, you'll begin to see every prayer as another deposit in the account toward receiving from God. And every prayer adds value to that thing that you will receive once it is given to you. Every time you ask, you own that request a little bit more. And sometimes once you've saved up enough and you've invested in a prayer, you eventually do get what you asked for. And when you do, you value it so much more because the cost came before you received it. Not only is that true, but the act of persistently praying, the act of saving up in prayer has value in and of itself, doesn't it? And as I said, I think this is really the main point Jesus makes. See, persistent prayer equals larger amounts of time spent talking to God. Does that have value? Every little prayer puts you closer to your God. And isn't that even more important than getting what you're asking for? 
The process of saving up in prayer also builds character. And it all adds up until you get enough character saved up that sometimes by the time you could have received what you were wanting, you realize that thing isn't even what you want anymore because you've changed. But you've still got all those prayers saved up, all that time spent with God. They're still in the bank. And Jesus says, because of that investment, you will receive. You may even receive something better than what you thought you wanted back when you started praying. So again, the cost is persistence in asking and persistence in waiting. And sometimes you have to ask and wait for a really, really long time. And it might even seem like the cost is too much. But the benefit, the benefit is receiving from God. The cost is persistence in asking, but the benefit is receiving from God. And see, receiving just about anything from the God of creation is a benefit worth just about any cost. Take heart, my friend. If you keep on asking, you will receive good things from God himself. Isn't that amazing that you can know that you will receive from God? If you keep on asking. Now, we need to open up another window for just a minute. I'm going to do a little sermon within the sermon, so stay with me. Jesus said, if you keep on asking, you will receive. And implied is that you'll receive what you are asking for. Right? I mean, that's really what he says. In fact, the whole rest of the passage where he talks about receiving bread, not a stone, receiving a fish, not a snake, is really Jesus saying, hey, God wants to give you good things, so ask, and you will receive those good things. We can't simply dismiss this. The whole lesson's about receiving the very thing that you're asking for, and not some other crummy, less desirable thing. And so taken without further consideration, this seems almost like a magic formula, doesn't it? Asking you will receive. This has led to a lot of disillusionment with God for some people. And there was actually two or three other places in Scripture where Jesus says uh, essentially the same thing. Ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be given to you. That's a direct quote from Jesus in another place. So what do we do with this? Well, there's one thing I can promise you, and that is that if you interpret Jesus' words here literally and without qualification as if he were presenting this as a universal formula for getting whatever you want right when you want it, you will quickly become disenchanted and maybe even lose faith because in real life it is just not going to work like that at all. Some preachers may try to say otherwise and tell you that it's a lack of faith that's your problem, but only the incredibly gullible believe them because we actually live in the real world. That said, I want to briefly explain five possible reasons why you still have not received what you are asking for. These might be good for you to write down so you can remember them as needed. As far as I can tell, these are the only exceptions to the rule that you will receive what you request from God. Possible reasons we don't receive. First of all, we don't receive, even when we ask, if we ask with wrong faith. Wrong faith. James writes, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, what I'm about to say is very important. Inspired Scripture tells us that we must ask in faith without doubting. But what is it that we are to have faith in? And what is it that we're to not doubt? Our faith must be in God. And we must not doubt Him. 
We can also see this in our main text. Our faith is in the character and identity of God, that He's good, that He's our Father, that He wants to give what is good to His children. Faith in Him and who He is. We're not called to believe that we will receive exactly what we want right when we want it. We do not place our faith in circumstances, but in God who transcends circumstances. God's not our personal genie just waiting for our three wishes, nor is he waiting for us to believe strongly enough that he's going to give us the things on our list. On the other hand, he may indeed be waiting for our faith in him to be strong and for our belief in him to be void of doubt. If your faith in God is still sort of, what the heck, I'll give this a shot, then don't expect to see your prayers answered. If you're still wondering if God's even there or if he's even really listening, forget it. James is talking about faith in God, faith in his ability, faith in his presence and his concern, believing with all your heart that no matter what happens, God knows best for his children. Jesus is saying, hey, believer, God is your good and perfect father, and you need to believe that more than anything else. This is about your faith in who God is. Not your faith that he will do whatever you want, which would actually make you God, and him only a means to your desired end. Wrong faith, meaning faith in the wrong thing or lack of faith in God, will keep you from receiving when you ask. Now, the second reason you might not be receiving even though you're asking is this. Perhaps you've made the wrong requests. What if God gave everyone everything they asked for? The farmer's praying for rain and I'm wanting to play golf. <laughs> Who gets what they ask for? Much more seriously, maybe you desperately want your 90-year-old grandma to go on living, but she and God are ready for her to go home. Do you get what you ask for or does she? And what about God's will and His sovereign plan? Does that matter or are you and I in charge of the universe? Sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we ask for the wrong thing. What parent would give their toddler everything they request? Oh, you want the chainsaw? Great. All you had to do was ask. Here you go, kiddo. Let me just start it up for you. Blah, 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 blah. Did that sound like a chainsaw? No. It's my best effort. Jesus said, if you ask for bread... God will not give you a stone nor a snake for a fish, but what if you ask for a stone? Ever thought about that? What if you're so dumb or so naive and ignorant that when you're hungry, you ask for a stone or to get stoned instead of asking for bread? What if you ask for a snake or some kind of evil paraphernalia instead of a fish to meet your needs? What if you're confused about what you really need? What if you don't really know what's best for you? What if you ask for a stone or a snake instead of bread or a fish? Sometimes God knows we don't really want what we think we want, and God is too good of a father to just do what we want without a filter. Which brings us to the third reason we might not get what we ask for. Wrong motives. Let's go back to the book of James. Which often functions almost as a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, 
Yet you don't have what you ask or what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I think that speaks pretty well for itself, doesn't it? Listen, if it's all about you, you still don't understand what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. If your motives are wrong, don't expect to get what you ask for from God. The fourth possible reason you may not be receiving is a wrong position. What is your position before God? Are you forgiven by grace through faith in Christ? We talked recently about the privileges of membership in God's family. Have you ever accepted God's offer of adoption through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus? Are you actually His child? Or are you still lost in your sins? This teaching of Jesus assumes that God is your Father. He says the Father wants to give good gifts to His children. So, who's your daddy? Have you ever actually received the adoption as a son or daughter of God by faith in Christ? Is God your Father? The Bible says because we have all sinned, we all start out as enemies of God. It's only by repenting or turning from sinfulness to Christ as we receive His grace through faith that we become friends and children of God. So if you've held off on a decision to follow Jesus, don't expect your request to be answered by God. He's still waiting for you to walk through the open door to a right relationship with Him. Then you can start making requests from God as your heavenly Father who wants to give you good gifts. But there's more to this issue of position because even after you become His child, you can still allow sin to come between you and God. Scripture flat out tells us that holding on to sin in our lives will hinder our prayers, even as His children. If you need an example, check out 1 Peter 3.7. You need to come clean before God. Confess your sins. Stop doing that thing and stop trampling on the cross of Jesus Christ who died to allow you to be forgiven and made new. If you have strayed from God only in repentance, will your prayers be unhindered once again? The fifth and final reason your requests may seem to be unanswered is that it may be the wrong time. I talked about this in the beginning. Clearly, God values persistence in prayer. This truth automatically means God's answer is not often going to be immediate. It's not going to be immediate. Keep on asking, Jesus says. This implies the normalcy of receiving no immediate answers. God's timing is perfect. Ours is not. Maybe you're thinking, great. <laughs> So if I can get, how many was it? Five things right, get all that straight, I might get what I'm asking for, right? And I'll admit, those are five pretty major qualifications to this promise. So the question is this, what price are you willing to pay in order to receive from God? Are you willing to pay the cost of persistence at least? Now I guess we will find out. One thing is clear in what Jesus says. If you do not keep on asking and seeking and knocking, you should not expect to receive. Here's an illustration. Let's say I'm completely trustworthy beyond question. And uh, let's say that I, I make you a promise right now. Let's say I promise you a million dollars. However, there are five qualifications. 
in order for me to come through on that promise. First, you need to believe I'm a good person who actually wants to do something good for you. You need to have faith in me as a person or else you won't really engage yourself in the process. That's the first thing. You'll need to have faith that I will come through. Second, I know you asked for five million, but you need to be okay with one million. Your request was a little off and needed uh, to be modified. I, I happen to know that five million would put you in a different tax bracket. Plus, if you had that much money, you would spend it on a jet plane in which you would eventually crash and die. Third, you'd need to promise that you'll give 10% of these funds back to the church. <laughs> that was just a little, that's just a little fun for me. Um, but seriously, as a good person who is focused on the kingdom of God, I want to know that you'll use the resources I give you to do good and that you'll be wise with your money so that you won't wind up worse off than you were when you started. Yes, your motives will need to be right. Four, I want us to spend some time together and have a great relationship. I'm going to give you that kind of money. We need to be friends. And before I'm going to give you a, a million dollars, we, we need to build trust with each other. Um, so fifth, I'm, I'm not going to actually give you the money until 2023. And only if you keep asking until then. You've got to keep, keep hanging out with me. You'll need to keep spending time with me and asking. And, and, and you, you'll need to be okay with, with my timing. Now, would you be willing to submit to those five qualifications to receive the promise of $1 million? I think you would. And what is a million earthly dollars received from some guy compared with Jesus' promise that we will receive what we continue to ask for from God? See, even with these qualifications in mind, this is still a wonderful, amazing promise from Jesus. So keep on asking, and you will receive. Because it really is true that persistent prayer pays. The second cost in our cost-benefit analysis is persistence in seeking God. Keep on asking. I'm sorry, keep on seeking and you will find, Jesus says. But are, what are we called to seek? Seeking what? What are we called to seek and therefore to find? Well, again, we need to rewind just a few verses. Remember, just prior to this, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then just a few verses later, he says, for he who seeks finds. I believe Jesus is still talking about seeking God and his will, his plan first. So the cost is to persistently seek God first above all else. But how is seeking God first a cost? Well, our strong inclination is to seek ourselves first, right? So the cost is self, that's all. You and I need to die to our own selfish desires. You think that might change things in our prayer life at all, by the way? The Apostle Paul is a great example. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And again, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. To seek God first, you have to say so long to self. If you're still first, God isn't. What does it cost for God to be truly first? Everything. Jesus said those who are willing to lose their lives for 
his sake and the gospel would find real life. The cost is high, but the benefit is higher. What is the benefit of persisting in seeking God first? The benefit is this, experiencing God. If you persist in seeking, you will find, Jesus says, what will you find? God. And again, I'm not talking about salvation right now, but a fuller experience, a closer walk, a deeper abiding with God. Believers can experience God in a more powerful way when they seek Him persistently. Yes, when you passionately pursue God, you will find Him, and a closer walk with the Lord is worth so much more than the passing pleasures of this life. In fact, what could be better than experiencing God? But it's hard to believe that, if we're honest, isn't it? I want what I want. And I want it now. And I want some pretty good things. It's not all about fishing boats or whatever. I want some pretty good things. I want healing for people, you know? It's not all about me. I also want things for other people. I want people to have families, uh, uh, healthy families, good marriages. Uh, I want our church to reach more people for Jesus. I want all kinds of good things to happen, like now. But what does God want? Have you ever really thought about that? If God's primary purpose were for this place to be a paradise right this minute, what would he do? Well, he would come back at this moment. But right now, that's apparently not what he wants most. What God wants most right now is to continue the journey with you by his side. That's why we can find him when we seek him, because he's actually waiting for us to want him more than we want a certain set of circumstances to come true. So what is the benefit, really? I mean, what's so great about experiencing God? Hmm. What was the first word of the sermon from Jesus that we're continuing to study? The first word of the Sermon on the Mount is what? I'm including the introduction blessed to experiencing to experience God is to be blessed at one point as we began I I gave a very literal definition for what Jesus meant by the word blessed I said he meant that a person has been made happy by God to have the contentment that only can only be given by God in your soul This is precisely what everyone is looking for in life. I can't get no satisfaction. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Here it is. Made happy by God. Blessed. That's what everybody's looking for. People try to find this contentment in so many things. But you'll never find true contentment anywhere other than a relationship with the one who made you. To experience God is to have abundant life. In fact, it is to literally have heaven on earth because God 
is what makes heaven, heaven. What's the title of this series? How to have heaven on earth. Listen, to have heaven on earth, all you need is to have God on earth. He's all you need. Seek Him. Seek Him. And all these other things, Jesus said, will be added to you. But how must, we, how must we seek Him for this to work, according to Jesus? Keep on seeking. It's with persistence. We need to keep on seeking Him in prayer. Because just as Jesus wanted us to know, persistent prayer pays. The third area of persistent prayer that Jesus mentions is knocking on doors. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. He says, now to me, this is the most metaphorical of all three verbs. And um, so you could kind of go some different ways with it. But especially if you look at the Luke context, in the context here, I'm going with this as the cost. Persistence in praying for opportunities. Persistence in praying for opportunities. Jesus wants us to knock on doors. He wants us to look for opportunities. In some sense, following Jesus is about going through the right doors at the right time. It's about making the right choices and following the will of God for our lives. Following Jesus or being his disciple is about serving him day in and day out, whenever and wherever he leads. And sometimes we're called on to make, take major steps of faith into new directions, things that seem Uh, impossible and beyond us. Something new in His name. The idea here is that the more we persist in knocking on doors and also in following God through open doors, the more opportunities or doors He's going to open to us. So that's the benefit, actually. Open doors. Doors will open if you keep knocking. You've probably heard it said that every follower of Christ should be a minister And that's true. We also be ministers in the church and in the world. We are to be people who look for opportunities to serve others in the name of Jesus. We're to be a people who make disciples by looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others. We're to pray for open doors and open hearts and walk through them when they open. But I often sense frustration from folks who don't know where to serve or where to start. Many times people feel like every door is closed whether in terms of ministry in the church or in terms of sharing Jesus with people in the world. So if that's you, let me ask you. Are you being persistent in praying for those opportunities? Do you wake up every day and ask Jesus to open doors of evangelism? Doors for ministry to help people. Let me tell you, when you persist in prayer for open doors, they will start to open. Some of you maybe feel shut out from ministry. You just don't see any open doors. You're not sure where your gifts are. You don't know how you can apply them. Are you persistently seeking God in this? Persisting in prayer for doors to open. What if God just wants to see a little more persistence in your prayer for these things? What do you do when doors don't seem to be open? You persist in prayer. You make sure you aren't missing any doors that that may already be open. We um, do tend to miss open doors, I think. Why do we miss the open door? Sometimes because we're too busy knocking on another door. 
It's not the door we were looking for. See, that's a problem for some people. There are open doors everywhere. Needs to meet. But maybe you're too busy banging your head on the one that you really want to open. Listen, if God opens the door right next to the one that you were knocking on, um, go ahead and go through it. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to be so literal with this. Just keep on knocking. Just keep on knocking on that door while the one beside it opens up. I mean, it's like, here's your sign, right? I mean, the door is just it's right there. I mean, come on. You knocked and a door opened. Walk through. See, as you're knocking, there's room here for God to say, oh, wrong door, but here's a better one. Don't try to break down closed doors, but do persist in asking for doors to open and see which one opens up. By faith, walk through them. Maybe down the road, whatever door you first knocked on will open up as well. Who knows? But God is God. And the point is in following Him through the doors He opens. The point is not what doors you want to open, what doors are opening, even as you knock. God's a good Father. He's a good Father. He's going to open the door that leads off a cliff no matter how hard you bang your head on it. He's a good father. See, that's the check on all of this. That's the check on all of this, that God will honor your persistence one way or another, but it may not be in the exact way you had in mind because he's a good father. So I encourage you to knock on some doors in prayer and do so with persistence. You'll never know which ones might open if you don't ever knock. Keep on knocking, Jesus says, and the door, maybe we could say a door, will be open. How do you think David felt after he was anointed as king of Israel and then found himself on the run for about the next 14 years? He was anointed king, but had to wait about 14 years to assume the throne. Why? God's timing. Maybe he wasn't ready yet. Actually, when you read the story, you find out David definitely wasn't ready yet. He'd killed a Philistine giant, but he still had some giants within that needed to be defeated. I remember when God called us to plant our first church plant back in Missouri, River Oaks Church. Um, we heard from God so powerfully three years before it actually happened. I mean, we were committed and ready to go at that moment. If only we could have had a clue where to go or where to start. God practically wrote in the sky for us that he wanted us to plant a church. And we said, yes, Lord. But then God said, okay, I'll get back to you on that. But first, go serve in this other church for a couple years. What? Two and a half years later, God got back to us. And friends, that was only to show us the very first of many more doors to walk through. So we just kept knocking, and the right doors opened at the right times. Incidentally, next September, our first church plant will celebrate its 20-year anniversary since the public launch. They just finished a building, another building for their youth. I hope they have cake. That's my one request. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If you do so with persistence, you will receive, you will find, and the doors will start to open. Bottom line, Jesus made it crystal clear that persistent prayer pays.
Not about praying once and not bothering to pray again. Anybody else logical kind of as a person, rational? You're just like, well, I already asked. I mean, why do I need to keep on asking? Well, hopefully you've got some answers to that besides just Jesus said so. But Praying once and not praying again, that's about as effective as making one cast when you're fishing and then going home. How many casts do you make? However many it takes till you catch a fish. Right? The application today is simply this. Pray more. Pray more often. Never stop praying. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on not. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. And understand that you have a heavenly Father who knows best. And wants you to keep coming to Him in prayer. And as you do that, you will receive. You will find. The door will be opened. But as I close, I've got to ask one more time. I've got to circle back on one thing. What if God is not your daddy? What if he's not your father? It's not default mode. God is not everybody's father, folks. We're not all God's children. We're all made in his image. And that's an important point. Everybody's made in the image of God. And that means some things. But we're not all God's children. That's really clear in the Bible, folks. You have to be adopted. You have to receive what's being offered. You've got to receive the gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would receive, would, would not perish, but have eternal life. He gave, it's a gift, Jesus is a gift. There's a thing about gifts. I could hold out a gift to you all day long until you take it from me. It's not yours. God is holding out a gift. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sin. Have you ever come to Him and said, yes, please, let it be applied to me. I need you. I, I, I'm, I turn away from all the other things I've tried, from myself, from sin, from everything, and I just lay my life at your feet. I, I, look, just save me. Have you cried out? to receive salvation from God. So many people just kind of think they've always been a Christian. Just, if you ask people for their testimony, they'll say something like, I've always been, I, we went to church growing up, I've always been and always been. No, you haven't always been. You have to be born again, Jesus said. That's a pretty big deal, being born again. That was the whole point was that it's a big deal. When Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus, probably way more religious and way better person than you are, and he's saying you must be born again. What he's saying is it doesn't matter how good you are, how, how many times you go to church, how many times you've read the Bible. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. There's a moment in time where you move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you don't know for sure that ever happened to you, it should happen. It needs to happen. I hope it could happen today. There's no reason to wait. Most Sundays I give an opportunity for that to happen. Let's do that right now. Would you just bow your head with me? If you're not sure that you know, if you don't know that you know that God is your Father by faith in Christ, let's get that taken care of today. It's not about praying magic words, but it is about something happening in your life. You've got to respond to the Father who's offering you the gift. The Bible says we cannot do that without Him reaching out to us first. So I'm just believing that the Spirit 
is drawing someone here today. That someone inside in your heart, in your mind, in your soul knows that Jesus is saying, let me save you. For whatever reason, you've put it off. You weren't sure. Maybe today's the day. Would you just say yes? Take this life what it is. Save me, God. Forgive me of my sin. Help me become the person you want me to be. I just lay it all on the cross. I just lay it all on Jesus. Put my chips on Him. Put my trust in Him. Just tell Him in your heart. God, I thank You for saving me so many years ago for that moment when I did what I just hopefully led someone else to do and how you've sanctified me through many years of growth and I'm still on the way. I have not arrived. But I pray for that one that maybe they would understand that this is just the beginning today, that you have so much for them. Step two would be to be baptized so you can just stand up and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want everybody to know I'm not ashamed of him. That's the way you gave us to do that, the profession of our faith. And then to be made more and more into the image of your son, step by step, little by little, throughout our life as you prepare us for heaven. I pray for that person, Lord, that they would take a step, some kind of step. Tell me, put it on the response card, tell a friend to take a step to let somebody know Today was the day I put my trust in Christ. Thank you for saving someone today, God. Just believing that that happened. Thank you for all that you do. Help us to persistently pray, Lord. It's so much easier to preach about than to do. Thank you for this reminder from Jesus in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.